soul free. Who can forgive sin? Jesus, who died for me? Yes, it's true that I've been captured by your love. I've been captured by your grace. I've been covered by your blood. I was lost, but now I'm found. Yes, it's true you hold me down. Jesus, here's my white flag. Who distributes joy? Who sets the soul free? Who can forgive sin? Jesus, who died for me? Yes, it's true that I've been captured by your love. I've been captured by your grace. I've been covered by your blood. I was lost, but now I'm found. Yes, it's true you hold me down. Jesus, here's my white flag. I surrender right now. Jesus, here's my white flag. I surrender right now. Forgot to mention an announcement. Um, for those of you who signed up to be part of the Easter Choir, you will have your first rehearsal today at 1 o'clock. And so just make sure you're here in the sanctuary at 1 o'clock for your first uh, Easter Choir practice. Let's pray. I want to, again, uh, bring different burdens before the Lord as we carry them uh, today. Father in heaven, you are a good God and your timing is perfect. Oh, Lord, life gets hard sometimes, God, and just think of so many out here whose stories I know who are going through hard times, maybe with illness, their own illness, fighting every day, some who have family members in the hospital even right now, um, others who are just having a difficulty with their job situation, some feel overworked and underpaid, some have horrible hours that are pinching into family time, and... Um, some are just having struggles with their children of parenting, maybe their youth who've gone astray. God, we, we just carry all kinds of burdens. And then as we're just honest with ourselves in our own hearts, we have uh, our own struggles, our own doubts, our own fears. We, we don't want to fail, and so we, we hold on tight, and yet, Lord, we feel like uh, in our hand is a, is a fist full of sand. And So, Lord, we, we don't want to play games. We're not trying to pretend <laughs> That, that life's all in order, God. We know it's not. But God, again, I thank you that you don't change. You, you didn't send Jesus to die for us because you thought we'd be good. You didn't, you didn't tell us to get our act in order before we take a step forward. And in fact, you told us, God, that we can't take a step forward. Yet you've enabled us, God, by regenerating our hearts to love you. And so, God, you who saved us, I know you'll keep us. So when life is dark, help us just hold fast to you and to the gospel. Um, God, uh, do rebuke us when we sin, and may we have teachable hearts. Forgive us, Father, for our, our, our self-dependency, just doing things on our own and not even thinking about talking to you, God, because we feel like we've got this. We don't, Lord. And so, God, we, we just hold this all before you. And we pray, Lord, even now you would speak to us, God. Open our eyes, Lord. Give us ears to hear. And, Lord, would you stir us within in a sweet way as your word is preached this morning. We bless your name, God. For you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I feel like I've been away from the pulpit for a while. Um, it's been uh, four Sundays, five weeks since I last preached. And I want to just say thank you guys for 
giving me time off and, and being understanding of my, my absence from the pulpit. Um, and some of you are like, well, yeah, where, where were you at? And some of you realize, oh, I didn't even notice. You were gone. And, and so uh, that's all right. <clears throat> um, but I had some time to work on school. I'm still a student trying to finish. By God's grace, I'll finish in December. And so I'm working on a large paper dissertation that's got to be some 220 pages. And so um, I finished another chapter this past month. So thank you guys for your help and your encouragement and just allowing me to step away. Also, while I was gone, um, <clears throat> Erica and I had an opportunity to go out to Florida. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're part of an organization called Family Life, which we've shared with you before. But just want to thank you for your encouragement and understanding with this too. Uh, God's given us an opportunity to travel around the country uh, four times a year to speak at marriage getaway, marriage getaways. And uh, we've been trained for this in, uh, this past uh, fall. We went on a retreat in January, and uh, we're going to be going to Lincoln, Nebraska in about two or three weeks to speak at a uh, weekend to remember getaway to about 700 people, uh, about 350 couples at this, at this getaway. And so we're being eased into the process. We're speaking with others who know a lot more than we, are, we do and who are a lot better at it than we are. Uh, but we get to be critiqued and, and taught. And what I'm excited about is bringing what I'm learning there to the brook and uh, encouraging us about what God wants for us as individuals, whether we're singles or married. And, and so uh, we are part of Family Life today. They have a radio s- a show that talks about these things. But thank you for your encouragement um, and also for, in advance for your understanding as I'll be gone four times a year uh, at these conferences. Uh, and Erica will be joining me for two of those. Also this past month, I spent a lot of time in the book of Mark. Uh, I was praying over the last uh, four or five months or so, asking God for direction as to where he wanted us to go next from a preaching standpoint at the brook. We've gone through some exciting things over the past year. Uh, We've had a series on prayer, on the book of Song of Solomon, on relationship, God, and sex. We've had a series on manhood. We've opened up parts of the book of Psalms. We talked about what it means to give 100, give all you are to God. We just came out of Christmas season. Jeremy preached a great series from the book of Jude. And uh, we wanted to think, okay, what's God going to lead us to as a church? And one thing that I love to do is to take my time working through a book of the Bible. Um, We haven't done that since the Song of Solomon, but we did that with the book of Ephesians. And I thought, you know, I want to do that, but I want to pick the right book. I want it to be something that's going to be real personal for us as a church that will speak to the situations where we're at And uh, I I felt God kept impressing on my heart the book of Mark. The book of Mark is a beautiful book, 16 chapters. And we're going to spend a little over the next year and a half working through this book. And we'll have times where we'll take a break. So don't don't think like, man, a year and a half, really? Uh, We'll space this thing out. But there's a reason for it that I'm going to unpack for you in in a little while. But we've named the series Follow Me. And we've branded it with white flags. A white flag is the universal symbol of surrender. In 2013, New York City had a situation take place on the Brooklyn Bridge. At about 3 in the morning, about five guys climbed the Brooklyn Bridge and went to a place where they have the American flag flying on top of the bridge. And the Brooklyn Bridge, as you might imagine, is one of the most highly guarded sites in all of New York City, understandably so. But these men climbed this thing up like ninjas, get up there to the top of the Brooklyn Bridge. They swap out an American flag for an 11-foot by 20-foot white flag. Came on down. 
the next, and as the sun began to rise, workers were there, and they're looking, and they're like, why are there white flags hanging on top of the Brooklyn Bridge? They started calling authorities in, and now there's a panic, like, hey, is there something going on? They're thinking about bomb threats, or all these kinds of things. And for months, they had no idea who did this and why they did it. About four or five months later, some men who live in Germany said, yeah, we did this. We, we like to climb different landmarks and, and put like an artistic touch on it. That's something that we do. There was no particular rhyme or reason for it other than it was, it was a risky thing to do. But what bothered the people of New York and Americans as a whole so much is the flags that they put up there. Because we don't want anything to do with this idea of surrender. Especially in replace of our American flag. Because we all understand, you raise a white flag, you're telling somebody, I give up. In fact, even on Wikipedia, it says that the white flag is an internationally recognized protective sign of truce or ceasefire. It symbolizes surrender. And it talks about a weaker party which requests a negotiation. When you see the white flag, you're saying, I am submitting to you because you are more greater than I. Let's talk, because I don't want to be wiped out. And as I thought about that, there are hardly any other images as significant as a white flag that applies to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because our relationship with Jesus begins when we choose to surrender our rights to him. And this flies against everything in so many of our hearts that say, I could do it on my own. I don't need God. Yet the white flag says, I do need God. I can't do it on my own. I surrender. God, you are greater. I am lesser. Let's talk. I need you. The white flag confronts our pride. It exposes our hearts. It gets to the core of who we are. And it calls us to action. What will we do? Jesus, four times in the book of Mark, tells people to follow me. Follow me happens when you raise your white flag. Two simple words will rock your world forever. There's some of you here today who really struggle with those words. Some of you have a hard time with this idea of letting go of the things that you hold on to. And we all relate to that. In fact, I think one of the greatest hindrances from somebody who is not a follower of Jesus to become one is that they want to hold on to so many things in life. To surrender my belief? Maybe maybe you're you're today battling, you're saying, I'm more atheistic in my thinking. I'm having a hard time even thinking God exists and you're telling me to surrender my life to Jesus who is God? Maybe you're more of an agnostic and you say, I'm not so sure what I believe. Or maybe it's relative and you're like, hey, everything works. But Jesus calls you to surrender that belief, to surrender your value systems that say God knows better than I know. And these things are difficult for so many of us, if not all. And maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you say, yes, I've surrendered my life to him. I I trust in Jesus. I believe he died for me. But every day it's hard. It's hard to surrender my will to him. And we know that deep down inside, sometimes we think, I know better than God. And so, God, I'm just going to do it my way. And there are a few things that reflect that more than just when we choose to not pray. And so the white flag calls, uh, calls us to action, action and to bow our hearts. 
But the white flag of our lives can't be done in secret. It's not something you choose to raise up at 3 a.m. and not really want people to know about. But rather, on the other side of that image, we wanted to put it on the bridge for everyone to see and say, this is who I am. I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I want you to know about it. There's no secret here. I'm not trying to be uh, hidden in the dark. I want you to know this is who I am. And so the book of Mark is a book that Jesus is calling people to surrender their lives to him and to follow him. Jesus says, follow me. And so we're going to find ourselves in the book of Mark, opening this thing up, working through it verse by verse. And man, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it for you guys to see who this Jesus is that we love talking about from the scriptures itself. So if you have a Bible, please, please turn with me to the book of Mark. And if you don't have one, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. The book of Mark is found on page 836. 836. Why invest so much time in the book of Mark? Because it's about Jesus, and there is no one else better to invest our time in. Now, the book of Mark is often called the Gospel of Mark. And I want to kind of give us an understanding of of some of the Bible's structure here. Jesus' life takes place, uh, his life on earth takes place in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are called the four Gospels. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have a lot in common, a lot of parallels. But it's understood that Mark was the first of the Gospels that was written. It's the first one written, and you see how Luke and Matthew borrow at times from Mark in their own gospel writing. Mark's gospel is short, it's to the point. The word gospel means good news. And in fact, Mark chapter 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the first verse. That's like the title of Mark's book. He says, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the good news, and I'm going to write the good news about him. That's what I'm doing. So this is the gospel. Mark, however, <clears throat> tells his story in a unique way. Now, many of us might assume we write books so that people would read them. But Mark didn't write the book of Mark so much as that people would read it, as much as he wrote it for people to hear it. You see, in ancient Near Eastern times and in uh, the land of Israel during this particular time, only 10 to 20% of people um, were, were literate. And so Mark wanted to write a book that he knew someone who was literate in the community could read, and those can sit around it and listen. And so Mark is short and to the point often. He uses the word immediately some 15 times in this opening chapter alone. This took place then immediately, then immediately, then immediately. He wants you to feel this flow that's taking place as he's telling the story. But he's not merely telling a simple story about a man in history. He's telling the life of Jesus Christ and what it means to follow him. One writer says that that Mark's not simply writing a personal story of Jesus, but also he's writing to explain what it meant to be his follower and to inspire others to play their proper part in the movement he founded. Jesus started a movement. He started uh, a a movement that that would take over history. And it's a place that we find hope because Jesus himself is God. And Mark's saying, as a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like to live out a life in obedience to him. So he wants people to see this thing with crystal clear clarity. He's not writing to entertain, but he's writing to build up people's faith. And because of that, there are two major themes in the book of Mark. The first is this identity of Jesus. Who is this guy? 
And Mark says from verse 1, he's like, I'm telling you who he is. He says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In fact, in chapter 15, he bookends his book with that same statement, Jesus is the Son of God. So this is a major theme throughout the book. People are like, who is he? Who is this guy? And Jesus wants his disciples to come to know who he is, and he's resisting this kind of rock star status that people want to give him. He's doing miracles. He's doing many mighty works. People want to put him on a pedestal, and Jesus is like, no, I've got a job to do. And so we learn about Jesus' mission throughout the book of Mark. But on the other hand, we also look at what it means to be a disciple. This is one reason why I love this book for us as a church. Because in the book of Mark, we see the disciples messing up all the time. It's one of the most comforting things you'll ever read. Jesus makes something so clear, and they're like, what did you mean by that? And you're you you almost seeing Jesus like, seriously? I, I laid this thing out like clearly, and you're asking me what's going on? constantly the disciples are asking the weird questions, they're making the wrong statements, yet it's the people who go unnamed that are the great examples of faith. Like the demon-possessed man in chapter 5. We never hear his name, but we hear that God changes this man, transforms him, and Jesus sends him on mission, and the man goes. Who was he? Who knows? He's unnamed. Or the bleeding woman who had suffered from bleeding for so many years. Doctors tried to work on her, and it only made her condition worse. She reaches out in faith, touches Jesus' garment, and is healed instantly. What's her name? We're never told. But it was the disciples who, when Jesus said, who touched me? They're like, Jesus, there's crowds all around you. Like 30 people just touched you. And Jesus, you know, he's like, you know, guys, really? And so we're going to read Mark, and you'll be like, man, that was me. That was me. And that's good. It's good to realize that our God is patient with us. There are three major groups in the book of Mark. There are the disciples, there are these crowds of people, and there are these religious leaders that hate Jesus literally to death. And as we see the story unfold, we begin to ask ourselves, man, where am I at in this story? Am I just attracted to Jesus because he's cool? Because he's stylish, because he's the rock star on the block. People were coming in droves to Jesus because he could feed 5,000 people in one time. But where were they at his crucifixion? And so we see the story of Mark, and we're, we're asking questions, and, and Mark's being provocative. He's trying to build our faith. He's trying to call out our own sin, our own rebellion, our own failures, and he's pointing us to this Jesus, the Son of God, and saying, rest in him. Go to him. Keep turning to him. I had five particular ideas in mind in choosing this book. And I want you to write these down. And just for a future notice, I encourage you guys to take notes. I know for me, I learn best when I write and listen. Someone once said, yeah, I take notes, but I never go back to them again. I said, neither do I. I've got, like, from college, I've got probably thousands of pages of notes I don't know if I've ever turned to, but it helped me learn in the process. And I think this, it'll be the case even as we listen to messages. But the first reason I want us to be in Mark for a year and a half is because it's going gonna, it's gonna to edify your personal growth if you're a follower of Jesus. It, it's hard to walk away from this thing and not feel invigorated in your prayer life. It, it's hard to walk away and say, I don't, I don't know if I worship this son of God. <laughs> no. We find, we find our hearts go to Jesus, and we also find ourselves personally growing as we read the Bible, as we dig into the book of Mark. 
So the first thing that I want to see you guys grow personally and grow to love this Jesus that we talk about. Secondly, I, I believe you're going to find help in defending your faith. There's so many questions about who Jesus is and the nature of our God and what it means to follow Jesus. And as you see this story unfold, I think you're going to grow deeper in your own faith, but then be able to defend your faith and communicate it to other people. That's the second thing. I want you to to grow in how to defend your faith. Thirdly, I want us to grow what we call here at the Brook gospel fluency. I want us to be able to look at Jesus and who he is and what he's done and who I am and what I do in light of what he's done. I want us to look at all of life in light of that. That's the gospel that Jesus died for me. What does that mean when work stinks tomorrow? What does the gospel mean in your life when you get that bad phone call you've been dreading this week? What does the gospel mean in your life when you sin on the way home? See, Jesus came not just to save us past tense, but to work in us in the present tense through that same message that saved us and ultimately will be bringing us to glory. And we want us all to be gospel fluent. And what better way to become gospel fluent than to spend time in the gospel of Mark? A fourth reason why I want us to spend time in Mark is that this is going to be an excellent tool for making disciples. If you've ever asked me before one-on-one, Pastor Eric, I want to read the Bible. I don't know where to start. You know without a doubt, I'll always tell you, the book of Mark. Because it shows the life of Jesus. It's the shortest of the four Gospels, so that's always good. But you'll see what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. So I want to challenge you guys, even this week, link up with two other people and say, hey, let's keep each other accountable to reading the book of Mark. Set a time frame. Say, hey, let's give ourselves three weeks, chapter a day. We can take off weekends so we, you know, have a catch-up time when we messed up, you know. Just say, you know, but let's keep each other accountable. Drop a text. Hey, did you read Mark 1 today? Did you read Mark 7? And you'll be able to even help each other grow in your discipleship. But it becomes a tool for making disciples. That's our, my fourth reason. And my fifth reason is that we would all be regularly called back to surrender. Today, you might be searching out this Christian faith. Maybe someone invited you, or maybe you were intrigued because you thought of this idea of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I want you to come back and learn what it means to surrender to Jesus, to give your life truly to him, and to walk with that white flag raised in your life. So those are the five reasons why we're taking time, this much time, in the book of Mark. I'm confident God's going to work among us in some sweet ways. Well, we've said that God has perfect timing. And some of you are already seeing that today. You're thinking, man, I needed it. I need already what we've said. I need that for my life. Or, yeah, I've got those questions. God has perfect timing. He's never late. He never did things earlier. He's right on time. And he was right on time when he sent Jesus onto this earth. I'm going to read the first 15 verses of the book of Mark. And we're going to take a look at the identity of Jesus from the very start of this gospel. And I want you to think about what does this mean for my life in light of who Jesus is and what he's going to do, for, what he's going to do according to the book of Mark. So Mark chapter 1, I'm beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Mark says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
As it is written, Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. Say camel's hair. You're like, why did you just make me say camel's hair? I'll tell you why. And he wore a leather belt. Say leather belt. Around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. Look at that image. Torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. Let's read that together. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out of the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, Jesus' first words in Mark, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Praise God for his word. Got Kermit the Frog voice today. Mark says Jesus is the son of God. God is his dad what Mark is saying. And he's saying, I'm going to show you how Jesus is the Son of God, how he has a divine identity. You see, we are sons of man, so to speak. We are all born of humans. We're born of a woman, all of us. Yes, Jesus was born of a woman, but he didn't begin to exist there in that that stable. Jesus is the pre-existent God of eternity. He has been forever. He has never had a beginning. He will never have an ending. But this eternal God, the Son of God, has entered into time and became a man. And Mark says, this is pretty amazing. I need you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. But Mark says, this is how the story begins. He doesn't begin with Jesus here. He begins with John, who's affectionately known as John the Baptist. That doesn't mean he's a Southern Baptist. It means he's one who baptizes people. And John was a man who baptized people in the Jordan River while being in the wilderness. Mark says that John was fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah and Malachi, saying, Behold, I send my messenger, in verse 2, before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. You see, Isaiah had a prophecy, as did Malachi, That God was going to send Elijah, someone who's going to metaphorically be Elijah. And this man was going to stand out and prepare the way for God's Messiah and deliverer to enter onto the scene. He was going to get people's hearts ready for this Jesus. 
And so John had a responsibility telling people, hey, get ready. And his message was, turn from your sins, repent. That means to say, hey, acknowledge that you've done wrong in the sight of God. Feel sorrow about it. Confess that to God. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. That's repentance. And John was telling people, you got to do that. You've been rebelling against God and God's offering you forgiveness. Turn from it and get baptized as a symbol of your forgiveness. So John's out in the wilderness proclaiming to people, telling them, go on and do this. And by doing so, John's getting people's hearts ready for Jesus, the one who would give them eternal life to come on the scene. John knew that he was the one paving the street. He wasn't the car supposed to drive on it. When our president visits Chicago... It creates quite a scene over on the Kennedy Expressway. There's this massive motorcade that goes in front of his vehicle and behind it. The cars in front are there to make sure every other car is out of the way. And if you've ever seen a motorcade, it's a, it's a pretty intimidating thing. It's, it's, it's like, man, there's this massive train of cars all there to escort this one vehicle. And if you've ever been by one, it's, it's impressive. But you're not there trying to take a selfie with the first car. You're not there looking at the window of the first vehicle saying, who's in there? You know who's in there. There's a secret service person who's unnamed and you don't care about. Because the most important person is the one who follows. And you're looking for the presidential vehicle and you, you, tra- you have your eyes peeled. You want to get a glimpse of our president. The motorcade paves the way for the superior person to come through it. And John's role was like that. He says, I know that God has sent me like Elijah to prepare the way. And it would have been tempting for John to be really impressed with himself. People came out to hear him speak. But John knew it wasn't about him. He had a responsibility to be that lead car and that one greater than him was following. And he was saying, don't look at me. I'm just a messenger. Look at him. He's the Messiah. You see, John says here in verse 7, After me comes he who is mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to untie the guy's sandals. It's interesting because elsewhere in Mark and in the other Gospels, Jesus makes this amazing statement about, about John. He says, among those who are born of a woman, there's never been anyone greater than John the baptizer. And here John, the greatest earthly man perhaps, according to Jesus, says, man, there's one coming who's greater than me. I can't even stoop down to his feet like a servant. I'm not even worthy to be a servant at his feet. He's the one you got to look at. Now, I told you to say camel's hair and leather belt. And there's a reason for that. Because you're like, why did Mark tell us what John was wearing? He never tells us what Jesus is wearing except at the cross when he's naked. He's never like, yeah, Jesus had this, this robe on with this colorful sash, like, like, he's not, he doesn't care about those details. You see, in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, there's a description given about Elijah. It says that they answered the people who were asking. They said there was a man there who wore a garment of hair with a, le- a belt of leather about his waist. And the person responded, it is Elijah the Tishbite. And here Mark is saying, John the Baptist is a fulfillment of that awaited messenger, Elijah. And when that messenger comes on the scene, you know who's following. 
the Savior of the world. So Mark is signaling us, hey, listen up. The, the, the path paver is here because the greater one is following. And John is saying, don't look to me. I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what John meant by that is this. When Jesus would ultimately die on a cross and raise from the dead, all who put their faith in Jesus, every child of God is baptized with the Holy Spirit without exception. And when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, that means the Spirit of God begins to dwell within us permanently, and he makes us a new creation. We are regenerated, or as John 3 says, we are born again. John's saying, I'm just giving you water here, but there's one who's coming that's going to give you a new life. He's going to make you born again. Just imagine the people thinking, man, who is this guy? Well, Mark's already told us he's the son of God. But now Mark's going to tell us what that looks like. You see, in order for Jesus to send his Holy Spirit to regenerate us and to save us, he had to accomplish a mission first. And that mission began when Jesus was about 30 years old or so. And here we see in verse 9, I love how Mark kind of gives you this suspense. He says, in those days, Jesus came. The Son of God came. He came from Nazareth. Remember that story? He came from Nazareth of Galilee, and Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open <coughs> and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's interesting how Jesus is baptized by John. But it's also more interesting how Mark doesn't care to tell us why. I'm asking the question, why was Jesus baptized? John says be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. I know Jesus is perfect. He's never sinned. He's a son of God. Why did he get baptized? And Mark's like, I'm not going to tell you that right now. Matthew tells us, but Mark's like, I'm not interested in that. Because Mark wants to emphasize not that Jesus was baptized, but what happened when Jesus was baptized. What happened when Jesus was baptized was a voice came out of the heavens and says, that's my son. Well, clearly, it's his father speaking, and Joseph wasn't in the heavens, but it's his father God, the God of the universe, saying, that's my son, my eternal son. And even more impressive is we have the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being baptized, we have the Father, the first person of the Trinity, speaking on Jesus, and then we have the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove, the third person of the Trinity. And we see that our God, one God, three in person, unique, is there at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Basically, the Father is like, it's game time. It's starting. But what's so cool is he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. See, even in that, there's no accident in the wording that God chooses. Because in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, Isaiah is writing a prophecy of God speaking when God says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. It's like the father is saying, remember in Isaiah 42, 1? 
this is my son. I'm pleased in him. He's the one who's going to bring about what we have promised since the beginning of time. But why was Jesus baptized after all? Matthew tells us that Jesus was baptized, according to Jesus' own words, to fulfill all righteousness. And I think what Jesus meant by that is this, is that Jesus knew he had a plan to come to save you and save me. And he would be the one who is righteous, who is truly holy. And in order for him to save us, he had to go through all the things in this life that he went through, including his baptism. And so that, because of that, when he would ultimately die and raise from the dead, he who is the righteous one can give his righteousness to us. And Jesus is saying, this is all part of the plan of me redeeming you. Jesus came on the scene and was baptized by John. And the father says, this is my son. It's showtime. You might think right after that that Jesus gets on the scene and people are like, yeah, this is great. You know, God is here. He showed up. But it's quite the opposite. We see that right away after his baptism, the spirit in verse 12, immediately, there's that word, drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and angels were ministering to him. Mark reminds us, that Jesus was sent out into the wilderness, and he was there for 40 days fasting, and he was being tempted by Satan to sin for 40 days. Now, again, it's interesting. Mark doesn't tell us what took place that day, those 40 days. Matthew tells us all the temptations, what it was like, how Jesus responded. But Mark's saying, I want you to know this one thing, that the Son of God, whom the Father is well pleased in, was tested and tempted and did not fail. He didn't fail. You and I, we fail. He didn't fail. Adam failed in his wilderness. Israel failed in their wilderness. This son of God did not fail in his wilderness. And because he did not fail, he could then be our perfect sacrifice one day. And so Mark wants us to see that Jesus had a very clear mission. He was truly God, and because he was the son of the father who lived his life perfectly, he can take your place. Last Sunday, we had a great message from our friend Ashanti. He opened up Hebrews chapter 4, and it says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The writer to Hebrews says, because Jesus didn't fail where you fail and where I fail, we can hold on to him and be confident because we're found in Christ. We can be confident in him. And Mark wants us to see this. He succeeded where we failed. He's our righteousness when we are not. And then, Mark says, and this was the message that Jesus preached. Verse 14, now after John was arrested, John the Baptist, that says, and we'll talk about that in chapter 4, I think it is. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the time is right. God didn't send Jesus a day early or a day late. God didn't sit back in heaven and say, I should have done that 10 years ago. 
No, the time was right. There are few things worse than when you have this great Puerto Rican dinner, you have an avocado, you cut it open, and it's hard. And you're like, man. Right? But when that thing is ripe, it's just soft enough. It's just, man, it's, it's like a party on your plate. Things are dancing there. It's just... It's ripe. It's ready to go. And this is how God, God's like, it was the right time. There, there's, there was not a day earlier or later. The time was fulfilled. He's like, the time is fulfilled. It is here. Everything you've been waiting for, for all of history, is coming to a head now. I just imagine that. Because of this moment, Jesus is saying, lost people will be found. Blind will see. Dead people will live. Deaf people will hear. Lame will walk. The fear will cease. Thirsty people will be satisfied. Joy will be multiplied. Divine wrath will be satisfied. Satan will be vanquished and God will be glorified because the moment is here. Jesus is on the scene. The time is fulfilled. It's perfect. When he told, God told Eve in the garden, I'm going to send an offspring to come. It's here. When God told Abraham, look to the skies and the stars. Those are your descendants. And from them, one will come who will redeem humanity. It's here. When God told King David, I'm going to send a king to sit on your throne for eternity. It's here. Galatians 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons of God. The time is fulfilled, it's here. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. How bold of a statement that is. You know, God's eternal kingdom is right in front of you. You're looking at it. The time is now. And Jesus says, you want entrance into that kingdom? You you want adoption into God's family? He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Now here's beautiful, because to repent means to turn away from our sins and to turn to God. To believe is is more than just mere acknowledgement. Many people saw Jesus, and they knew he walked this earth. They saw what he did. They even saw his miracles, but they turned from him. To believe means to give your life to him, to believe he died for you, and to believe that he lives for you. It's to surrender all that you are to him. And Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel of God. But what's the gospel of God? Well, verse 1, what does Mark say? In the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news about Jesus. Jesus is telling them here, believe in the gospel, believe in the good news. Jesus is saying, I'm the good news. I am the gospel. Jesus is the one. And he's pleading with people, turn from him and become a part of God's kingdom. If you have never believed in Jesus and repented of your sins, you are not a resident of God's kingdom. You remain in what the Bible calls the domain of darkness, which is ruled by guilt. It's ruled by shame where sin is your taskmaster and Satan is your great accuser who constantly condemns you. You are under the weight of punishment that you deserve. 
That's the domain of darkness. And Jesus is saying, but there's a kingdom. There's a greater kingdom where death will be squashed, where sins are forgiven, where hope endures, where condemnation will cease, where guilt is wiped away, where shame is put to rest. There's a kingdom that is offered to you when you repent and believe. We had Colossians 1, 13 and 14 read earlier, where Paul writes saying that that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. God's timing is perfect. God brought you here today as part of his perfect timing. And he's reminding you today that he is all that you need. That Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who was perfect on your behalf. Jesus is the one who had a mission that he would accomplish and did accomplish for you. Jesus is the one in whom you can raise your white flag, surrender to, and follow. So God's calling us all to raise that flag and to follow him because the time is ripe. Some would want to tame Jesus. Some might want to sanitize the cross or strip him of his ID. But Mark says, no, he is the son of God. And let's follow him. Let's be his disciples, surrendering all that we are, whether it's your belief system that you're holding on to. Maybe it's a value system that revolves around you. Whatever it is, will you turn to Jesus, the son of God? I mentioned that Mark bookends his book with that statement. In Mark chapter 15, verse 39, Jesus is hanging on a cross. He takes his last breath, family. And it says at the foot of the cross is a Roman centurion. He looks up to Jesus' body, seeing the sky in the middle of the day becoming black. The ground is shaking. He looks at his body and he says, truly, this was the son of God. And from start to finish, the life of Jesus says, he is our God. He is the one who came with a mission. And on that cross, he accomplished it. And three days later, he raised to life, victorious over the grave. So that when you give your life to him, you are transferred from that domain of darkness into Jesus' kingdom. We're going to venture together, family, over the next year and a half, exploring what Jesus taught and how the Son of God shows us to follow him. And I want us to do that with zeal and with excitement. Go online, buy a white flag, put it out front of your house. That's what we did. Make some neighbors ask all kinds of questions. Let it be a perpetual reminder that Jesus calls you to surrender your will to him. And he is a greater master than you are to yourself. He's a greater master than Satan will ever be. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's good for you. And he will guide you in that way. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Man, is there a better way to end a sermon than to take of the bread and the cup? That great song says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of who? Jesus. Jesus. Ushers, would you guys come forward uh, and begin to pass out the, the the Lord's Supper? Family, I want you to know if, if, if you are today and you don't know where you stand in relation to God, 
If you don't know if you are a disciple of Jesus, we ask that you would let the bread <clears throat> and the cup just pass you. <clears throat> um, one at a time, man. You can let it pass you. You, you don't need to take it and feel like, man, this, I'm, being, I'm, I'm totally being phony right now. Jesus says, if you believe in me and you take this bread and this cup and believe that I shed my, uh, my, my blood and broke my body for you, um, then he wants us to take of it. So take it, hold on to it. I'm sorry if you already slurped it. Uh, let's hold on to the bread and the cup together. We're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper and celebrate that together. But this is here a reminder for us. And you need to hear this. That when Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed. He did that for you. He did that to save you. He did that to wash away your sins. And he could do it because he was God and he was man. So as we take and just even right now meditate, just pray in your hearts. Confess your sin to God. Ask him to forgive you. Just thank him for who he is. And so as we we do this, let's have a time of stillness and just uh, prayerful quietness as we take of the Lord's Supper together.